Young, be seated. Again, welcome this morning. So thankful to have you. Paul, thank you for blessing us with those words and the reminder of that vertical and horizontal. What a beautiful way to put that. And uh, I love this month where we get to center around our missionaries and think about them and pray for them and kind of get reinvigorated for it. It brings so much blessing. I don't think I'll ever forget. Corbin, I think it was you that brought that bag of change a few a few years ago and dumped it in there. And, and teens, I encourage you to be part of giving to the globe. Uh, I, I'll never forget that first year when we were up here and uh, we flipped the cards around and and it was it was incredible, and Kelly gamed us all. We were thinking we were short by about forty thousand, and we were actually missing one number, which put us well over the goal. It's just a great time, and uh, we look forward to seeing what God does again this year as we begin to pray about. And I want to challenge you and encourage you to be praying about your part and what you do, and how you can uh, step in to the mission of God abroad and step into the mission here in Canadian. There's so much that God has for us and so much we can do in his name. So it was the summer of 2014. It was, it was hot. It was humid. It was Clemson, South Carolina. And this particular scene happened to be taking place um, on the practice field at Clemson University of the Clemson Tigers. Eric McLean, a senior veteran offensive lineman, well-known on campus, big, huge man, was making his way towards the water and towel area to kind of cool off. And in front of him in line was this scrawny little kid, a kid that to him didn't even look old enough to be on campus. And this young man had a Gatorade cup in one hand and a towel in the other. And as Eric McLean came up to him, he assumed that this young, scrawny kid was a water boy. And so he just came up and stuck out his big old mitt, waiting for this young guy to hand him the Gatorade cup. Well, a moment passed, and the little guy wasn't even looking at him. So after a moment, Eric McLean finally said, Dude, give me the water, give me the towel. That's when everybody behind him started to crack up because they knew something that McLean did not. The guy he was trying to get the water from was freshman wide receiver and walk-on that year, Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro is quite the legend around Clemson athletics. Hunter walked on without any scholarship offer to a D1 school. And as legend has it, he walked on, he was five foot five, 155 pounds. Tiny. There's a famous uh, picture that goes around about Hunter Renfro that shows him on uh, or in a waist deep water uh, with all the other wide receivers at Clemson. Of course, Clemson at the time had several wide receivers that have made the NFL. 
and standing in this waist deep water, I looked up the picture and I would have shown it to you, but it's, it's kind of hard to see what I'm talking about. But in the, in this picture, if you look it up, all these guys are standing behind or beside Hunter Renfro and they are 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", and they look like they were chiseled out of marble. They are ripped, six packs, all that stuff, all the stuff I thought I should get naturally and it doesn't happen, right? And then at the end of the picture is Hunter Renfro, this short white kid with a hairy chest who's doing his best impression of an early dad bod, (laughs) right? He looks way out of place. But Hunter Renfro is a legend because he was the most unlikely of receivers to not only make the team, but in 2017, Hunter Renfro was the one to catch the final pass from the quarterback to take down and put the nail in the coffin against Nick Saban in the national championship. Right, Larry Dice? (laughs) And take down the mighty Crimson Tide. And I mentioned Hunter Renfro's story this morning because Hunter Renfro's story is a story of somebody becoming, maybe the hero isn't the right word, but just somebody of purpose and somebody of mission who was unlikely, who was the underdog. And I think all of us, can appreciate that. I love to follow Hunter Renfro's career because of this. I had an intern in Stillwater when I worked there whose name was Hunter Renfro. He had a Twitter account. The night that Hunter Renfro caught this pass, my intern's Twitter feed went crazy. Everybody thought he was this Hunter Renfro. He added 400 followers. The next day after that, within 48 hours, he lost 400 followers. (laughs) But Hunter Renfro, I love his faith in Jesus Christ, but I love that he is unlikely. And this morning, I want to share with you a story that's even greater than Hunter Renfro's, a story of an unlikely disciple who may be the most underdog disciple of all time, and it's going to be in Mark chapter 5. So grab a hand of somebody next to you, and let's pray. As we begin our missions month, a month in which we will be asking our church family to once again sacrifice and give, but more than that, for us to be reminded of the mission that carries this church. Let's pray together. Father God, we are blessed this morning, blessed to have all that we have, but most of all, blessed to have you and to be redeemed. God, this morning, we just want to specifically pray for two of our mission points today. God, we love hearing what's happening in Guatemala and in Brazil. Incredible things. Churches being planted, lives being changed, missionaries sent out, vocational mission, ministries being started. It's just incredible. And we are so thankful for that. And so, God, we pray your deepest blessing on Paul and on Roberto, and God, in all the things that they do, and the churches they work with, and the people they work with. Um, God, we know that we're part of something that isn't going to just last for our lifetime, but we're going to get to talk about for eternity 
with people that we're going to get to meet in heaven. And they're going to go, I'm from Guatemala. And uh, we're going to get to hear about how you've changed their life. And how in some small way we were part of that. And we're thankful for that. So God bless these ministries in Brazil and Guatemala. And God bless our mission here. May we uphold today that we are not just giving to missions, we are on mission. And may you remind us today, this morning, that we can step into that mission, even if we feel unlikely or unworthy or like underdogs, God. Challenge us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 5 opens like this. You guys want to turn there. Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20. The text says, they went across the lake. Now, what just happened was Jesus has been doing ministry and crowds have been gathering. And then as he goes across the lake, there's a storm and he calms the sea. Remember that. And verse one says, they went across this lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Stop there. The Gerasenes. Now we don't really know where the Gerasenes are. It was a region. It was an area. There's a map you can see here of what's across the Sea of Galilee. There was several different towns that maybe were Similar to the Gerasenes, it's probably most likely the one right across the lake. But that's not the point of the story, is the location. What is the point of the story that Mark is reminding us of is the shock of going to the location. Because when Jesus says in chapter 4, if you look up in your text a little further on the page previous, he says, let's go to the other side. He is dropping a bomb on the disciples. Because the Gerasenes is located in a place that is wider called the Decapolis. And the Decapolis was the 10 most un-Jewish cities in the area. It was the place your mama warned you about when you were a kid. It was the place that you did not go. It was the other side of the track. The Decapolis was thoroughly pagan, completely Greek in its culture and Roman in its culture. It was Hellenized and ran by the Hasmonean dynasty before the, before the Romans and Alexander the Great before that. And everything about it was unlike and unclean to the Jewish people. I'm sure the disciples who grew up in Capernaum, and there's at least four of them, were told, don't you walk around the other side of the lake, or at least don't you be there in the Decapolis after dark. But Jesus, breaking down walls here, says in chapter 4, let's go across to the other side. Let's go to that part of the world. The Decapolis is a field trip that is a step in faith. The Decapolis or the Gerasenes are off limits. And for us, the Decapolis is all those kind of places that we think about that can't be redeemed. It's a Texan talking about California. Don't you go out there. Every time we've vacationed to California, there's been somebody in Canadian go, oh, be careful. Those people are crazy. I'm like, they're as crazy as you. All right? <laughs> We're all people, right? But the Decapolis is those. It's the places we think are unreachable. The Decapolis is the place too far gone. Let's pick it up in verse 10 and see what 
happens when they go across the lake. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. So as Jesus and his disciples get out of the boat, they are entering a phase of ministry that the disciples have not experienced before. Up to this point in Jesus' ministry, the crowds have been numerous and they've been friendly. And their welcoming party here in the Gerasenes is not a familiar crowd. It is a deranged, tormented, tomb-dwelling, self-mutilating, demon-possessed man. A man who is so unruly, his own cities, the Decapolis, which means 10 cities, which there was actually about 12, but the 10 cities they have kicked him out of. And he is so strong that he is not able to be bound. He lives night and day crying out among the tombs. So if the Decapolis was a place you did not go, this man represents every reason why you don't go. He's full of evil. Now, as a side note, it's so interesting. If you've read Mark before, you've noticed that people have a hard time recognizing Jesus, but this man does not. He recognizes Jesus in the text up to this point better than anyone. He knows who is the son of the most high, and then he also knows who he is. When Jesus says, what is your name? He says, legion. Which another side note is such a loaded term. There was an actual legion of Roman soldiers living in the Decapolis and operating out of the Decapolis at this time. In fact, we know from history it was the 10th legion. And uh, this will be really interesting here in a second. The 10th legion of Roman army was around two to 4,000 soldiers and they patrolled all of Judea kept people in line, crucified the unruly, struck down any rebellion, but they had a mascot. And their mascot, we actually have an imprint of. You can see it on the bottom. It looks like a donkey, but it's a pig. The 10th legion, who this man calls himself a legion of demons, was represented in Rome by pigs. Let's keep going, and that'll make a lot of sense. Verse 11 through 17. A large herd of pigs (laughs) was feeding on the nearby hillside. This is in the Decapolis, where there is a legion of Roman soldiers 
who carry around a mascot of pigs. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Crazy story. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region, the region of the Decapolis. Now here in this middle of the story, 11 through 17, we get some strange, incredibly strange details, some facts. We get facts about the number of pigs. We get these facts about pigs running over a hillside and drowning in the Sea of Galilee. It's a, it's a passage that you should shake your head at no matter how many times you read it and go, what in the world is going on? But don't miss what's just happened. Mark here is working on several different levels and he's working on some pictures and metaphor. If you look back up in the previous chapter, what has Jesus just done? He's just done a miracle of calming a sea. Well, what's a sea or what is bodies of water to the Jewish people? The water is a tumultuous place of chaos, Genesis 1. It's the tohu vovohu of Hebrew a place of chaos and disorder. It was the undead. It was the place where they believed of the underworld. If demons had a home, it was water. Now, this confronted man who was full of demons, just like the sea before it in chapter four was a place of chaos, and it had its waters calmed, this man now is sitting there and he is free of demons And he has come to peace. And the demons have now entered pigs and run back to where they came from. What Jesus is doing here is incredible. I hope you followed that. This thing that is happening is Jesus is restoring order back to creation. He is taking on the mantle of creator and saying, I'm going to make things as they should be. He calms the sea and he calms the sea in the man. And he redeems him in the process. It's an incredible story. The pigs, that is tied to another side note. Sorry for this, is just off the top of my head. Isaiah 65. There's also a, a passage in, in, a, in a book called First Maccabees, in which the Hasmonean dynasty made the Jewish people. Uh, they came from the Decapolis, they captured some Jews, and they made them eat pig meat the most unkosher of things. That's all tied to this region. If you read Isaiah 65, it talks about somebody showing up in that area where they used to give them flesh pots of pigs and redeeming it. Jesus is fulfilling that here in Isaiah 65. But I'm getting off topic. Let's get back to the story. Here's what happens to wrap it up. And this is where we're going this morning. So you have a story of Jesus showing up in an unlikely place with an unlikely man, calming him, restoring him, bringing order out of chaos. 
And then here's what happens to close the story. Verse 18 through 20. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. You can almost picture that, right? Let me get in the boat with you. But Jesus did not let him. But said, go home to your own people and tell how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. So Jesus has been asked to leave. And he politely obliges. He doesn't start. He doesn't start anything. He doesn't start a fight with the people of the Decapolis. They're afraid of what he's just done. They've seen something happen that they can't explain, so they ask him to leave. And as he's ready to leave, and his disciples are getting into the boat, they've got a plus one on the reservation. All of a sudden, here's this man, formerly known as Legion, trying to get into the boat with them. Right? I think we understand the sentiment. What would you do? Of course you'd want to get in the boat with the guy who had just completely changed your life. We understand that sentiment with teens at a camp. Let's just stay at encounter with men and women on retreat. I want to stay here. It's the same reason I hear every year somebody from this church or somebody in the community who joins us for Go Weekend, they will say, can't we do this every weekend, right? We want to be in the presence of of the kingdom of God, right? When we see it, we want to be around it. But what is so cool about this is although we have a time when you experience Jesus, you want to stay with Jesus, and this man begs to do so, Jesus actually has something better for him. Now get that in your mind. Instead of being a a 13th disciple... Jesus goes, no, I got something better for you. He has a mission. And his mission is not devoid of Jesus. It's ripe with this. It's ripe with Jesus, but it is a mission to go share what he has done. This man is the very first evangelist in the Gospels. You ever think about that? It's not Peter. Now, Mary Magdalene, after the resurrection, the first evangelist to tell about what Jesus can do was the guy who was outcast from his community, a demoniac, a man formerly known as Legion. So church family, here's what we're going to lean into. Three things really quick. We can see in this story that this man is given mission, so do we, and our mission is the same. This man steps into mission. And our call from this text, if this text teaches us anything, is to step into purpose and mission as well. So what do we learn? First of all, you step into mission and purpose when you learn to step in where you are. Where you are. Jill Briscoe says this, your mission begins under your own two feet. And that man's mission The man formerly known as Legion begins not to go back across the lake, but it begins right there in the Decapolis, the first sent out missionary. Now, I want you to think about this question. Do you romanticize missions? Have you gotten a romantic 
vision of mission. Here's what I mean by that. This month, we're going to hear some amazing stories. You're going to hear some at Fellowship Feast. I hope you'll join us. Please stick around for that. You're going to get to hear from Paul and Roberto as they share what's happening in Brazil and Guatemala. And the rest of the month, you're going to hear from EEM, and you're going to hear from AIM, and you're going to hear from Contact and from Chile. There's going to be some amazing stuff. We're going to get to hear about those things happening. I love those stories, and they're important that we hear those But often what we do with those stories is we end up romanticizing them. And what I mean by that is we end up going, man, I wish I could hand out Bibles on on the Sea of the Mediterranean Sea to to people as they come into Greece, like EEM does. Or man, I just wish I could go, I wish I could go do what, what Roberto gets to do. Or I wish I could go to Brazil and just spend my time there. Well, guess what? God puts you in Canadian Texas, right? So your mission begins where you are. What we end up doing when we start wishing our mission to be somewhere else is exactly what the demoniac was trying to do by getting into the boat when Jesus has already called him out of the boat. He had already called him to step out of the boat. That's where mission begins. Acts seventeen twenty six. Paul says that God sets people where they are And creates boundaries for them so that they can seek him. In other words, where you are, God has a mission for you. And guess what? You can, and although the church has struggled with this in the past, we can hold up two banners of mission at the same time. I support our six mission points. And I also am on mission in Canadian Texas. Amen? So we step in where we are. Your mission begins right here in school hallways, in offices, on ranches and farms, on oil wells and drilling rigs, wherever you find yourself. That is your mission. Wherever God carries you today and tomorrow. And second, we not only step into mission where we are, we step into mission with the story we have. Notice what Jesus told the man. He says, go back to your own people and tell them what? How much the Lord has done for you. That's it. He doesn't tell them any more or any less. And I think there's such peace in that because so many of us struggle with fear and anxiety of what to say, right? I wouldn't even know how to tell people about my faith, we say. I don't even know how to tell people or or have a Bible study with people. I don't even know how to invite somebody to church. So if you lock up and get anxious in those moments when you have to maybe or have an opportunity to share why you believe, this story gives you every reason to relax, church family. Jesus' advice, just tell people how much mercy God has put in your life. And I think every one of us can do that. This past Monday at Men's Brenner, uh, Shannon Cochran shared with us. And, and Shannon shared his testimony. And he began it just like I would begin it. I don't have much of a story to tell. <laughs> and Shannon, you couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> he started saying, I don't have much of a story. And then he shared from these moments Over and over again, how God kept showing up, even as he grew up in an unchurched home, 
how God kept calling him towards himself, towards Christ, and towards church family. It was incredible. And what Shannon simply did was share the story he had. How has Jesus had mercy on you? You have a story. Everyone does. And it begins simply by saying or answering, how's Jesus had mercy on me? If you can work on that one question, you can share with the world. I tried to imagine this week what it was like for that demoniac, the man formerly known as Legion, to walk back into town and begin to tell his story, right? Maybe somebody walks up to him and is like, you look familiar, right? You look really familiar. Do I know you? Maybe the demoniac said, I don't know, maybe. You may have heard about me or or from me. You ever hear anybody howling at night, (laughs) right? Oh, and then finally it dawns on the person. I know who you are. You used to live in the cemetery. What are you doing in town? Right? And the demoniac maybe says, yeah, that's me. That's me. Uh, I don't go by that name Legion anymore, though. I don't, you can call me Joseph or Shlomo. I don't know. You know, <laughs> whatever it would be. That's Samuel in Hebrew, by the way. Um, <laughs> and then the guy maybe looks at him and goes, oh, you're wearing clothes now. Awesome. And then the guy's able to say, here's what happened in my life. Here's how, here's what's different. This man named Yeshua, who I now know as the Christ, did this. And every one of us can do that. I believe he did exactly that. And the reason I believe that will come up here in just a second. But not only do we step in where we are and step in with the story we have, the last thing we learn here from Mark Chapter 5, 18 through 20 is you step in and you don't hesitate. This man did not hesitate. And we know this, if you flip over just a couple pages in Mark chapter 7, we know that he did exactly what Jesus asked him to do. Look at these passages. Mark 7, 31 through 32. It's on the screen. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre. And went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee. So he's back in the Galilean area. And then he went to the region of the Decapolis. So he crosses back over. This, there's two or three times in, the, in, in Scripture that, that Jesus shows up in the Decapolis. There's twice here in Mark. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hands on him. Now remember chapter 5. What did they beg him to do? get out. He shows back up sometime later, weeks, a month, I don't know. And now they're begging him to heal. How do they know? What's changed their mind? What's changed in their perception of Jesus from get out to now come near is this man, the demoniac, has been going and telling without hesitation. He's evangelizing. He's sharing. The man formerly known as Legion, that's who changed their mind. Those who were once fearful are now saying, we heard about what you did. Your mercy changed that man. Now help us 
with this deaf and mute man. We don't hesitate, church family. The demoniac didn't say, okay, Jesus, I'm not getting in the boat, but I'm just going to hang out. What he did was when his life was changed with all sorts of passion, it seems, he goes and tells it. And scripture proves it. He told, he shared, he invited. He invited people to know Jesus. He had a mission. And he stepped right into it. So yesterday I got to spend some time with people I hadn't seen in two decades, some of them three decades. I went to a funeral in Sherman, Texas uh, of a man that at the time I didn't appreciate when I knew him, but over years and years I've learned to appreciate. His, man, his name was Denton Wiggins. And Denton was my youth deacon. We didn't have a youth minister. We didn't have a Barry Hobson. We had deacons that took control of our youth group and tried to help us, and Denton was the main one. And yesterday I got to go and, and be a part of a service for him and get to worship with a bunch of people um, and got to reflect. And the thing I've reflected on most I want to share with you all because it's been a challenge to me and I want to share it as a challenge to you all. What didn't did most for me in my life was something that happened my freshman year of college. I'd come back to Hooker, my hometown, and I was going to church there. And one Sunday afternoon in June, Denton grabbed me and he said, hey, you know, I'm the director of Black Mesa Bible Camp. Some of you went to Black Mesa Bible Camp. Any, any BMBC people out here, right there, back there? And he grabbed me and he said, I'm needing a couple of junior counselors, people that are just out of high school. And I think you'd be great at it. He said, I want you to give it some thought. It's in July. Maybe you could go. And what was crazy about that invitation at the time is I had no business being a junior counselor. I had no business mentoring any high school kid. And I had no business sharing Jesus with them. But Denton Wiggins somehow in his wisdom saw some little sort of potential. And Denton Wiggins, I now say, is the first man to ever give me a push towards ministry. In fact, I would say today, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be doing this. Denton was an incredible youth deacon. He was a farmer. He was a husband. He was a father. But he always put ministry in his call to mission not first as in over and above, but first as in everything he did reflected that mission. And he didn't hesitate to ask me to do something that day. And my life was completely changed because of it. I went to that camp that summer and I had no business being there. And I had young men who didn't grow up in church by Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of that week coming up to me and saying, will you study the Bible? I'm interested in getting baptized. And I had no idea how to study the Bible with anybody. And so I went to Denton and I was like, what do I do? And he goes, you've grown up in church. I bet you can handle it. <laughs> right? 
I was trying to get in the boat and he was like, you got a mission. And I sat down with those young men, three of them, three of them who came from rough homes, who on Monday night I had busted smoking cigarettes out behind the camp, uh, behind our cabin, who I thought were awful. And those three boys I got to sit down with and I had no idea what to say. So I opened my Bible up and I just go, I don't know where, I don't know what to do, God. So I just told him my story. Told him about when I was their age and I got baptized and why I did it. And started to tell him about this week, why I was there and why I shouldn't be. But yet I was there. And all three of those kids got baptized that week. And it wasn't because anything I did, but it was because somebody else decided to give me an invite and then believed in God enough, believed in Jesus enough to know that I didn't have to hesitate. I was ready. And I'll never forget that week. I'll never forget watching those young men get baptized in the dark. I'll never forget them hugging me and thanking me for spending time with them. I can't remember their names. But I'll never forget that moment. And so I want to challenge our church family this morning to be a little bit like Denton Wiggins. I wish y'all could have known him. Some of you might know him. He taught me how to ski. When I was a fourth grader, he inadvertently taught me how to have a Bible study with somebody. (laughs) But most importantly, he taught me that I had a mission. And I want to challenge you this morning to remember that you have a mission. You have a story to share. You have a place to share it. Teens, you are not exempt from this. I want to give your teens, uh, I want to give you sophomores up through your seniors a little challenge this morning. There is no reason our youth group shouldn't have 100 people in it. Only 25% of this town goes to church. And if if revival is going to happen, I believe it comes through our schools. I do. Seen it happen before. We got to step in. And church family, we got to step in. So my challenge is this. This week, begin to pray about one person you need to invite to church. That's what Denton Wickens did. He just invited me to camp. Changed my entire life. Who do you need to invite to say, come and see what God is doing? Some of you have done that before. Some of you are here today because you got an invite from somebody else, right? Who is that in here, right? Some of you are here because of that, right? Right? And we're so thankful for that. But this week, who do you need to step into the mission with and invite? And then also, who do you need to share with where the Lord has had mercy on you? That's the challenge this week. As we step into missions and look forward to Giving Day on March 6th, imagine getting to share that with a bunch of other people. 
Now, don't invite them and be like, hey, we we're trying to raise $100,000. We could really use your, we could really use your, <laughs> your checkbook. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying invite them into a relationship with God so they can see how God is working among this place because it is awesome. And church family, although we have been through some hard times like every other church family has, we still have a mission in Canadian. And Jesus isn't waiting on us. He's already given us everything we need. Let's not hesitate. So if you need something today, we invite you to it. Don't hesitate. If it's time to get baptized, the baptistry is full. I will warn you, it's last week's water. (laughs) we did not drain it but it'll still work (laughs) because the holy spirit will still show up he is not worried about form he's worried about function right he's worried about us saying let's go and that's all that matters so whatever you need today we are here for you if you're ready to step into mission if you're ready to pray about it if you're ready to be like the demoniac and just say i've got something to share we want to rejoice in that with you this morning whatever you need let's stand together and sing.